Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. The weeks are different with the news the way it's occurring. Uh, I hated the four years with Donald Trump because every every show was Donald Trump. Now, every show is a conglomeration of everything, which is better. Uh, I can't recall, though, if the government activities, what's going on in Congress, Republicans and Democrats, I hate that. I think there's too much, if you excuse me, bullshit going on, especially from the Republican end. Uh, and I don't recall, if it was that way before 2016 when Trump got elected. I don't think it was this bad. It was bad, but not this bad, because politics by its very nature is bad. Uh, and anyway, we have a lot to cover tonight. And uh, something that's very interesting. We're going to go to Sweden, Phoenix, Detroit, California, Washington, D.C., Florida, Texas, New York, and France. Okay, I want to start with Facebook. We know there's a lot going on with Facebook. I'm smiling as I say this. The outage yesterday. I I, I couldn't believe it. I I switched to Facebook around 12. I'd been on, I started working every morning at 6 with the blog. I finish about 12. Uh, then I have some other things to do, and I come back to it in the afternoon with my research for my books. But anyhow, I, I, I go to switch back to Facebook around noon. I can't get in. This is tragic. I mean, absolutely tragic. I can get into anything else on my set, but I can't get into Facebook. Well, I know I pay the bill. They take my money every month uh, automatically, withdraw from my account for years. I try to get a hold of Sloan. It's her headache to take care of it. Her phone's dead. It's broke. Now I have a real calamity. Uh, so I finally said, screw it. I'm not going to worry about it. And I did whatever I had to do without Facebook. And Facebook was out for seven hours, as it turns out. I never returned to Facebook that late in the day yesterday. So I did not know till this morning when I went on that there was no great calamity other than they had an outage throughout almost their entire system. Not all of it, but almost all of it. And they go just about all over the world. I learned something interesting about Facebook yesterday I did not know. Do you know, were you aware, that Facebook has 1.8 4 billion users a day. That means it has 1.84 billion members a day using their site. That's absolutely wild. And they get paid for this. Can you imagine the cash flow? No wonder Zuckerberg is so rich. Uh, how could he miss? <laughs> Anyhow, that's the story how the, the outage affected me yesterday. Now, when it rains, it pours. The government's been on Facebook's ass for a couple of years, and they're, they're going to go into it more from now on. Eve, it has nothing to do with the outage, by the way. Uh, and this is the story. A lot of things happen with Facebook that shouldn't, and Zuckerberg's a bit of a – he screws around. He cheats a little bit, I think. I'd put it that way. Uh, he does things that he shouldn't do. And here's the story. There's a whistleblower, someone who worked high up for uh, Facebook. Her name is Frances Hagen. 
Frances Hogan. She left Facebook a couple of months ago, and once she left, she took with her Facebook records. I don't know how many millions of pages she took with her of Facebook's records. And she is now a whistleblower. She's gone to the government, and she was gone to Congress. She's gone to the Wall Street Journal and leaked the Facebook information she has to them. Uh, now, I learned something interesting. I was not aware till today that Facebook owns Instagram and WhatsApp and Messenger. Now, Instagram, I have both Instagram and WhatsApp. I have access to on my computer. And I got into Instagram several months ago, and I've probably been there two or three times because it didn't seem to have the information I was seeking. Uh, it was more directed, I thought, to younger people. And I'm pretty old. I'm 86. So I really rarely felt I don't think I've used it more than three times. WhatsApp. Everybody was talking WhatsApp. So three months ago, I had Sloan set me up with WhatsApp. And WhatsApp was not what I was looking for. I've been there all of one time, okay? Uh, but turns out that these sites are not particularly healthy for a lot of people, especially teenagers in this country, okay? Instagram, Facebook and Instagram, whatever they print, whatever they publish, seems to encourage suicide with teenagers. Can you imagine? It encourages suicidal thoughts in teenagers. And this is what this Frances Hogan, one of the things she was going to testify today. What makes it bad, what makes it worse than what I have suggested perhaps by the tone of my voice is that Facebook Zuckerberger has known about this for a couple of years and done nothing about it. Here's where I see uh, Facebook going. There was a time 40-some-odd years ago when the telephone company was a huge corporation. It was one entity. The government thought the telephone company got too big, so by law, they should have violated it. They trust laws, this and that. They broke it down into several companies. And I suspect that's where we're going to be with uh, Facebook in about two years. He did get big, Zuckerberger. you got to give him credit. And I, I, I don't like seeing a man or a person who has created an empire economically be denied total profit from it uh, afterwards because it takes hard work to get where he got and people of his nature to get where they happen to end up. But in any event, that's where I see him going. It's going to be split up. He'll lose something, but he's got billions of dollars, so it won't make that much of a difference. Want to go to the Nobel Peace Prize? This is the week for the Nobel Peace Prize. Not just Nobel Peace Prize, Nobel, Nobel Prizes. They are being announced this week. I think today it was physics and science or something. Friday, Friday, uh, the Nobel Group will, will, uh, announce the recipient of the Peace Prize Friday. Now, I don't think this year Donald Trump is sitting there with his tongue hanging out for it. However, uh, 
And I don't know if he was nominated this year. He has been nominated in the previous three years, though, because here's how it works. When he first was nominated some three years ago, I thought, oh, my God, who could be so crazy as to nominate Donald Trump for the, like, the Peace Award? And it turns out anyone of, of some prominence in the world, intellectually or government-wise, can, can, can nominate someone. All you have to do is be a college professor uh, a president or a prime minister or some high governmental official, and you submit someone's name, and that is the nomination for that person. There are some 300-plus nominations generally for their Nobel Peace Prize every year. And Trump, when it first happened the first two years, somebody put in his name. He said, oh, boy, I got nominated. Then, he, then it came out that this is no big deal to be nominated. What's important is to win. And anybody can be nominated. And if you can especially set it up, as I will safely assume Trump did. Uh, but he never won, and he didn't say anything. I, I'm going to make a half-assed joke. Excuse my language again tonight. Uh, I'm wondering. I'm wondering when he, if he was nominated this year and he loses, or he ever talks about the previous years when he lost. When is he going to claim that the Nobel election? was rigged against him, was rigged, because that's something he has great experience with. Now, parents, I'm a parent, most of you are parents, it's a joy to be a parent, it's a sadness to on occasion to be a parent, uh, but uh, kids are kids, I'm sure we all had our little idiosyncrasies that probably irritated our parents. But anyhow, here's the story with children. Uh, in 1953, in fact, on this day in 1953, Key West began a program to inoculate all children younger than 15. Vaccine shot for all children younger than 15 with gamma gobulin. Sounds like, you know, Halloween's coming, gamma gobulin. To prevent the paralytic form, that's how you pronounce it, paralytic form of cancer. Parents didn't complain in 1953 uh, because the government says, you know, we got this problem out here with paralytic form of cancer. We're going to give the kids all shots of gamma gobulin because that's supposed to prevent it. Well, uh, made me sit back and think. I can remember as a young kid, I, I don't remember what it was for, but anyone my age has a scar on one of their arms from a shot they got. I forget what it was for. I still have that little scar. Uh, it's a circular scar. It looks like a bright moon but very, very tiny. I don't remember my parents complaining I shouldn't get the shot. When my children went to school, they had all these shots, measles, this, mumps, that. Uh, my wife and I, their mother, we didn't complain because the government says your kids have to have these shots to go to school. And we, we assumed that it must be safe for them and good for the public as a whole. For them to have the shots. Well, today people are different. Oh my God, look at the people who are raising hell because their children are going to be vaccinated against coronavirus. 
And it shouldn't be the government's responsibility or job to say, your child will be vaccinated, my child will be vaccinated. It's something, it's for the parents to make the decision. Parental decision-making is what's involved here. It is their child. It is my child. It's not your responsibility or your judgment. Where did all this come from? You know, there was a series of lawsuits over the years that whenever a situation like this occurred, there was some kind of a disease or virus going around, and the government said people had to have these shots. And there were some people who complained, not that many back then, though. And they went to court. They always lost. The courts ruled consistently that it, when you have a situation like this with a virus or, or a disease, something spreading, you have to weigh the individual's rights as against to the public's rights. And in every case, the public responsibility was one. It was more important. And that's understandable. Today, some of these judges, these federal judges especially, many of whom are Trump appointees, I'm going to say this, I know some of them personally, not that many, but who have decided these cases, uh, and I couldn't believe their decisions. They went with the individual when they should have gone with the public decision-making on this. Uh, People are different today, okay? And I've been thinking a lot over the last several years, and I'm sure you have also. And I say that in 2016, when Trump was elected, it was the beginning of the downfall of our country. And he did do a number on this in his four years. And that number continues now because he warped enough minds. Did he warp them? No, that's not the correct way of saying it. What he did was there were people who thought this way. There was a blackness in them. And he gave them the opportunity, because he was the president talking this way, it came out. People gave vent to the deep thoughts they were afraid to express. They came out of the woodwork like vermin, okay? And now we have all this trouble today. Even since Trump's not president, we have all this trouble. Uh, We have almost open warfare uh, between the two parties. Uh, We have protesting, everything going bad. And I I think Trump was the beginning of this. And it's going to take us a long time to straighten this mess out. I hopefully hope we can straighten this mess out. Okay, guess what? There was an article in the New York Times this morning. And it was by David Leonhardt. David Leonhardt. And Leonhardt said, COVID is in retreat. Turns out the numbers of new coronavirus cases for the last month are down by one-third. Did you hear me? They're down by one-third new coronavirus cases in 30 days. Now, they're going to go back up. Because think of the last two years. The numbers were way high, destructively high. Then they came down in many places. Then they went back up. And it seems to cycle up and down, up and down. They, they call them surges. And when these surges occur, it's generally around a holiday, Memorial Day, July 4th, Labor Day weekend, because people go on vacation. They, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care over 700,000 people have already died from the virus in two years in the United States. Not going to happen to them. And a lot of them say, especially the younger people, I respect young thinking, but they're nuts. 
You know, they're tough. They don't think anything can affect them. Uh, in any event, we haven't had a big day since Labor Day. Uh, I can see things coming down because it takes two weeks for it to hit, and this wasn't bad, I guess. The next time we're going to have trouble is Halloween, but it won't be too bad. We're just going to put a lot of people together, especially young people. But wait till Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, I believe, though I could be incorrect, I don't think I am, is the most traveled holiday of the year. Everyone wants to be with family at the Thanksgiving dinner table. And they're going to pack the airports. They're going to pack the airlines. And two weeks later, we're going to have a surge, mark my words. But right now, we're down uh, by one-third in just one month. Ah, boy. Let's see now. Something else is changing here. When vaccines were first mandated, let's say in the last 30 to 60 days, and the government and employers got tough, and they said, if you don't get vaccinated, you're out of a job. Well, most people were ballsy, breast testicles. No one was going to tell them they were going to be vaccinated or lose their job. They would rather lose their job. What bravado! Amazing! But turns out, <coughs> most of those people who were holdouts, I'm smiling again, okay, who would rather not get the shot and get fired, did not do so. Most of the people did not do so. They put their tail between their legs, and they went out, and they got vaccinated, because who can afford to lose their job? You, you pay twenty, thirty dollars an hour. You're going to go to a job like a McDonald's, seven fifty, ten dollars an hour. You got to be crazy. So they re, they capitulated and properly so. This mandating with punishment is working, and we have to have it. It doesn't violate anyone's constitutional rights. It's to protect all of us, not just one or two people. The CEO of Pfizer is Albert Burla, B-O-U-R-L-A, Albert Burla. He announced this past week, okay, he says that a normal life, quote-unquote, normal life will not return because of coronavirus without regular vaccines, which means we're probably going to have uh, a COVID va coronavirus vaccine every year and have to take it. Now, no one should get excited about that. Look at the flu shot. We've been having an annual flu shot for I don't know how many years. And each year, the flu shot's a little bit different because the scientists, the doctors, they study the new variations, and we know coronavirus has variations, and they adjust the medication to meet that new challenge, that new danger. And that apparently may be the way we're going to go. No one complained about the flu shot, <laughs> but they're going to complain about getting the shot every year. And because that's the way that goes. Want to talk about drive-in theaters. I don't know how many of you, it depends on your age, I think, uh, to recall drive-in theaters. And the reason I'm sharing this with you tonight, it's a brief history of drive-in theaters, because drive-in theaters are returning. And I'll explain why. 
Uh, I can recall in high school and in my college years when I got my driver's license, my lady friend, who eventually became my wife, we would go to the drive-in. And it was terrific. It was a movie screen in a big lot, and you parked in the lot, and they had lines of uh, radios that you would open a window and put the radio in your car, and uh, you could watch the movie from your car. Well, we didn't go to watch the movie. No, no one my age went to watch the movie. We went to Neck. I say it that way. I'm not ashamed. I'm proud. I smile about it because it was part of the growing up process, and it was necking. We didn't do anything worse in those days. Uh, sex, as it is today, did not exist back then. Well, now, a few years later, you're married. We all got married young, by the way. If a girl was 21 or 22 and wasn't married, she was going to be an old maid. And we all got married in our early 20s. That's just the way it was. And now we had families. We had children. Where are you going to go when you have young children? You're stuck in the house all the time. We didn't even have television, I don't think, back then. Or if we did, it was the very small screen. I think it was the small screen. So we used to go to the drive-in. And it was very simple. Uh, over a period of time, we ended up with four children, but as they came, we'd go to the drive-in in the car. Uh, we'd bring blankets, blankets and pillows, put the kids in their pajamas before we went into their night clothes. When we got to the theater, we'd buy them soda, popcorn, race out with them in the car before the movie was going to start. And then they were ready to go to sleep because they all went to sleep early, and we'd set them out in the back seat. And they went, put the blanket on top of them, and they went to sleep. And then Mom and Pop, we'd sit in the front seat. We didn't neck anymore because we could neck when we went home. We didn't need that. But we did cuddle. We used to cuddle. And let me say this, too. Automobiles back then did not have a center console on the front seat. It was one large seat. You could put three people seated comfortably in the front. So you could cuddle. You could neck earlier. And it was very nice. Now they're coming back because it's a way for parents to go out with their children and not be afraid of the coronavirus. Uh, it's just the family unit, and more and more drive-ins are opening. They are making a comeback. want to talk about that great female senator, uh, Democratic senator from the Republican state of Arizona, Kristen Sinema. This woman, she's not a fruitcake. What she is is a hippie from the 60s, okay? A lot of you aren't aware of this. Uh, this is a woman, 40 years old. Uh, she colors her hair in front sometimes green, okay? Green or purple or she has streaks of red in it. Uh <laughs> Uh, and she does other weird things. Her attire, her dress sometimes is wacky. Uh, and she goes to Congress like this. Uh, she, has, she doesn't communicate very well with people. She doesn't seem to want to talk as to her positions. She's opposed to the uh, social infrastructure bill, uh, which is a shame she and Manchin may take that down yet. Anyhow, she goes back 
to teach in Arizona. I don't know if she goes back every weekend or what, but she's teaching a college course at some university in the Phoenix area. And she was back there uh, this past weekend, either Friday or Saturday, and she was teaching the course. And when she left, of course, there are protesters out there, and they're protesting her. They're saying to her, why are you voting this way? These are good things. Mothers will be able to go to work. We'll have this and we'll have that. And she doesn't respond. She doesn't respond on the floor of Congress, in the halls of Congress to reporters. She doesn't respond to her constituents at home. She's closed mouth. And she's a smart ass. She's flippant in her replies. Last week she was standing uh, in a hallway in Congress and a reporter asked her uh, if she had changed any part of her stance with regard to the social uh, infrastructure. Where did she stand on it now? Or where did she stand on it? She says, I'm standing in front of the elevator, which she was. That's the type of response. Well, when she was teaching this course there were in Arizona, there were protesters outside her door. Many of them were people who believed in her and had campaigned for her during the campaign, and now we're disappointed because all the things she said she was for, she's opposed to now. And again, the social infrastructure comes into play big time. When she left the classroom, they followed her, this group of protesters, and she wouldn't say anything to them. She didn't say a word to them. And I don't know whether she's trying to avoid them or what, but she ends up going into the ladies' room. And a lot of women do that <laughs> under various circumstances. Could escape the ladies' room. Uh, what would happen is the door to the ladies' room was left open. This was a, a, a multi-stall ladies' room. There have been pictures of it on the Internet. And she went into one of the stalls. One of the protesters from the open door said, why are you doing this? Why, I went out and I campaigned door to door for you. And now you reject and don't stand for all the things I believed in, I supported you for, and I went and told people to vote for you for that reason. And whatever, whether she was hiding in the stall or she was, it was nature's call, she said nothing, she came out and she left. Now, you want to be a politician you got If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. This is, was a heat in the kitchen situation. And uh, what bothered me was TV yesterday morning. Just about every TV show, Democratic news people, like Maureen Joe, Joe and Mika, who are opposed to her philosophically, politically, they thought it was terrible that this girl, her name was Blanca, and the other protesters followed this woman to the door of the ladies' room. What the hell's the matter with Joe and his wife, Mika? Sometimes their head is not on their shoulders. It's someplace else. This woman deserved those people following her. They deserved where they were. She picked the place. Uh, they didn't. And that's the way it goes. You want to be flippant? You don't want to answer questions? Well, this is what's going to happen sometimes. And if you want to be a politician, you got to take it. Otherwise, quit the job. You know, you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. I'm upset with Joe and Mika that their thinking changes just like this. Oh, my God, it was terrible. The woman was in the ladies' room. She might have been hiding in that stall. We don't know. Anyhow, that's how I feel about that. 
which now brings me to Henry Ford. Henry Ford, the Ford automobile. On November 1st, 1908, Henry Ford introduced the Model T to America. First car, black. Now, what was the significance of it? This was a brilliant guy, Henry Ford. He mass-produced the cars. He was the first automobile maker to mass-produce automobiles. He may have been the first person to mass-produce anything. And he had the assembly line. Everybody did one thing, boom, boom, boom. Because before that, it would take forever to turn out a car. He's turning them out rapidly. And he's also turning them out cheaply. The cars were affordable. They were within the range of the middle class to purchase something new never occurred before. Only the wealthy could afford a new car. And his employees were many of the people who could afford them also because Henry Ford believed he should pay his employees a good wage so they could afford to buy his cars. Isn't that amazing? He, he mass-produced it made an affordable car, and paid his employees enough so they could afford to buy his car. Great, great business man. That's the lot for this week. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. i got so much more here. Every week I have so much more. There's so much more to talk about. But that's it for tonight, folks. Uh, please join me again next week. Until then, good night.